Chapter 1 of Pollyanna's Jewels. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Pollyanna's Jewels by Harriet Loomis Smith. When the Worst Was Over. When the men had finished crating the furniture, and the china had been packed away in sugar barrels, and the pictures were coffined in dry goods boxes of assorted sizes, and the house suggested a skeleton picked clean, Pollyanna assured herself that the worst was over. She had said the same thing the next day when they moved into the new home, when barricades of furniture made progress from room to room as noteworthy an achievement as Napoleon's crossing the Alps, when it was discovered that the moving men had carried all the kitchen utensils to the third floor, and when, at six o'clock at night, the beds on which the family were to sleep still leaned drunkenly against the walls. And now, twenty hours later, she consoled herself with the reflection, Well, it won't be so bad tomorrow. It was a fact that much had been accomplished in twenty hours. The beds stood up straight and brazen on the bare floors, apparently trying to wipe out the recollection of their recent inebriety. Chairs, released from the confining crates, stood about in huddled groups, as if asking one another how long this sort of thing was likely to last. There were dishes on the shelves of the china closet, and all the available space in the kitchen was occupied by pots and pans, while in the cellar a magnificent pile of prospective kindling wood grew apace. Jimmy was not to report to his new headquarters till Monday, and, with characteristic energy, he was devoting himself to helping get the house in order. It was a tremendous help, of course, and Pollyanna was deeply appreciative, but she sometimes wished that Jimmy had a little more initiative in the matter of finding things. It seemed to her that, without exaggeration, half her time was spent hunting for something Jimmy wanted. Pollyanna! The summons reached her as she stood on the top of the stepladder, putting some tumblers of jelly on a high shelf, where James Jr. could not find them. Pollyanna! Where the deuce is the hammer? The hammer? Why, it was on top of the piano a little while ago. Well, it's not there now. It's the most extraordinary thing, declared Jimmy impressively. The way things disappear in this house, a fellow could accomplish twice as much if he didn't have to spend most of his time hunting. Pollyanna climbed down from the stepladder and went to her husband's aid. There were times when there seemed some ground for Jimmy's implied theory that hammers and other necessary articles simply walked off and hid themselves when one's back was turned. They hunted unsuccessfully for ten minutes, and then Pollyanna found the hammer by the merest accident. For noticing Junior's rubber boots standing in the middle of the hall, as if ready to start off on an independent journey, she picked them up to get them out of the way and discovered that one of the pair was suspiciously heavy. Having had experience with such mysteries, Pollyanna was not surprised to find the hammer inside. Well, Jimmy's tone implied that the puzzle must be solved at once. How did that get there? Why, perhaps, have the children been downstairs? It's exactly like one of Junior's tricks. No, 
Nancy has the children in the front room upstairs, and the door is shut. But somebody must have done it, Pollyanna. Jimmy spoke very earnestly. I'll swear I didn't, but it stands to reason that a hammer can't jump off the top of the piano and hide itself in a rubber boot. Perhaps you laid it on that pile of sofa pillows, Jimmy. They're such slippery things. And the boot happened to stand just where it would catch the hammer when it slipped off. Jimmy took the captured hammer without comment, but shaking his head stubbornly, as if to imply that, though this explanation might satisfy some intellects, it was far from being enough for him. While Pollyanna carried the rubber boots upstairs and shut them in a closet as a punishment for their misconduct. And then, though she knew she had no time to spare, she indulged herself in a peep into the front room set apart for a nursery, where Nancy was keeping guard over the children. A year before, Nancy's husband, Timothy, had died suddenly, and the day after the funeral, Nancy herself had suggested giving up her home and coming to live with Pollyanna. I never had no children, Miss Pollyanna, but if I had, it don't seem as if I could have set any more store by em than I do by you. And the way hard girls act nowadays, wasting till it's most as bad as stealing, and doing something they had not to the minute your back's turned, I'd feel easier in my mind about you if I'd just picked up and went and worked for you myself. But Nancy... Pollyanna had cried, holding the work-hardened hand tightly in both her own. Of course, it would be perfectly wonderful for me to have you, but you must think of what is best for yourself. There's lots of work in a family where there are little children, and I know Timothy left you something, and that it's not necessary for you to work so hard. Well, Miss Pollyanna, maybe it isn't necessary but I guess hard work's the best medicine for what ails me. And besides, working for you and yourn ain't like working just for money. It ain't, it ain't. Nancy, do you realize that it would mean leaving Beldensville? Are you sure you want to do that? Nancy smiled sadly. I guess the only part of Beldensville that meant much to me was my own little home. And now that Timothy's gone... It's only a jumble of rooms with some sticks of furniture setting around. If I can be with you, Miss Pollyanna, and Mr. Jimmy and the children, I ain't going to Miss Beldensville. And so, for a year, Pollyanna's burdens had been lightened by this staunch helper who assumed the interests and responsibilities of a member of the family. There were, of course, the inevitable drawbacks, in her determination that Miss Pollyanna should not be cheated out of her eye teeth by unscrupulous city dealers, Nancy quarreled with icemen and milkmen, butchers and grocers, and it was difficult to keep a laundress, owing to Nancy's uncomplimentary comments on the quality and quantity of the day's work. But with it all, Nancy's presence in her home gave Pollyanna a grateful sense of security. Pollyanna stood for a moment at the door of the front room, listening to the chirping voices within. Early in the day, she had decided that it would save time to assign to one person the task of looking after the children. When Junior fell over a packing box and bumped his head, and when little Pollyanna mounted to the very top of the stepladder and called, See me fly! 
And when for a moment there was an agonizing uncertainty as to whether or not the baby had swallowed a tack, Pollyanna and Jimmy and Nancy all came running from different parts of the house and spent a number of minutes satisfying themselves that no serious harm had been done. As a mere matter of economizing of time, to say nothing of the saving of the nerves, it paid to shut the children up in one room and appoint someone to act as guardian. Pollyanna had taken her turn earlier, and now Nancy was sitting comfortably in the rocking chair, keeping an eye on two restless sprites while she darned an ugly tear in Junior's trousers due to a projecting nail in a packing box downstairs. The children abandoned their toys, shrieking rapturously as their mother entered. Even the baby, who had not as yet mastered the intricate art of walking, pulled herself to her wobbly little feet, holding to the side of her baby pen, and grinned engagingly. Pollyanna had confided to Jimmy more than once that she should be frightfully jealous of anyone whom the children found so entertaining that they would fail to go into ecstasies when she put in her appearance. On this occasion, she had nothing to complain of. Junior seized one of her hands and his sister the other, while across the room the baby gurgled joyously and showed the two tiny teeth of which she was inordinately proud. This is my hand, shouted Junior, hugging his mother's fingers to his heart and casting an impish glance in his sister's direction. I've got a hand, too, and it's got a ring on it. Well, anyway, this is the hand she shakes with and spanks. Junior had suffered from the usual juvenile uncertainty as to which hand to offer in greeting, and having mastered the lesson, improved every opportunity to parade his knowledge. As his mother seated herself and picked up the baby, Junior inquired anxiously, Can Nancy go now, mother, and let you take care of us? Not yet. I have some more work to do. But you've been gone a long time. Not nearly long enough, said Pollyanna firmly. I just stopped a minute to see if you'd been good. This was Nancy's cue. She answered after a discreet interval of reflection. Well, fair to middlin', Miss Pollyanna. A little while ago, Junior pulled Judy's hair. Pollyanna's daughter, also Pollyanna, had never been called by that name. At a very early age, Junior had objected to it, declaring that his teeth were too little to say such big words. Indeed, the others found it easier to address the tiny newcomer as darling and sweetness and by other titles too primitive to be captured by the alphabet. Then Judith Thayer, on one of her flying visits, had made a pretense of complaining because the baby had not been given her name and had begun to call her Judy a title Junior promptly adopted. There must be something peculiarly contagious in nicknames. While Pollyanna and Jimmy were waiting for Junior to forget the label he had attached to his baby sister, unconsciously they began to make use of it. For the present, Judy was Judy, as if the name had been bestowed upon her in baptism. Pull Judy's hair! Pollyanna was properly shocked. Oh, Junior! I thought you were going to help Mother by being so good today. But I did it to help you, Mother, Junior explained hurriedly. I did it to straighten out the curl so it wouldn't be so hard to comb. 
Why, Junior, that would almost break Mother's heart. And Pollyanna laid her hand caressingly on Judy's curly head. Many a mother sees her dreams fulfilled in her children, and the shining black curls Pollyanna had wished for herself as a heavenly possession had become a joy in this world, no less a joy because they grew on the head of her little daughter instead of on her own. Nancy had not yet concluded her report. I guess Judy's a little mite homesick. A while ago she said she wanted to go home, and when I told her this was home, she cried. Why, darling, Pollyanna freed one arm and drew the little girl closer. You wouldn't want to go back where we used to live and leave Daddy and Mother and Brother and Little Sister and Nancy here, would you? Judy seemed undecided. No, she said at last. But I don't like houses, though any clothes on. Polly looked about the bare, comfortless room and smiled. I know, dear, but we're dressing up the rooms as fast as we can, and pretty soon this will be our dear home. From the hall below, Jimmy's voice rose in accents of desperation. Pollyanna, is there such a thing as a broom in this house? Why, of course, several of them. Well, you better come down and find at least one. I've looked everywhere. The screws came out when I was putting up the picture, and the whole first floor is strewn with bits of glass. Coming, Pollyanna called gaily. She kissed the baby and returned her to her pen then started for the door, delaying just a moment to answer one of Junior's questions. Junior had a way of shouting startling questions at one, apropos of nothing, that was a bit disconcerting. Mother, will God stand in a cyclone? Pollyanna was laughing as she went downstairs. She was rather exceptional among young mothers in that she was seldom too busy to enjoy her children. Even today, with pictures leaning against the walls and books piled in the corners and the baby's high chair buried under a pile of rugs, five minutes with the children had refreshed her and given her renewed energy with which to attack the disorder. She found the broom for Jimmy in the dustpan as well and then told him of Junior's latest, and Jimmy chuckled as he swept up bits of glass. A week or two ago, when we were having a thunderstorm, he asked me why God had to make such terrible noise when he wanted it to rain. I don't mean it boastfully, but Pollyanna, take it from me. We've got some awfully bright kids. Sometimes I used to feel sorry for poor old Watson. You remember Watson. He'd come down to the office and tell the smart sayings of his youngsters and bore everybody to death. Queer how some people get the idea that their children are perfect wonders. Pollyanna discreetly ducked into an empty barrel and hid her smile in the darkness. I suppose children always seem wonderful to their parents, she suggested from the barrel's depths. Looks that way, but it seems to me that if one of our children was as stupid as Watson's kids, I'd know it fast enough. Thank the Lord we don't have to worry on that score. Where did you say this little bookcase was to go? Pollyanna saw that it had never occurred to him to take her remark to himself, and she loved him the better for it. It was long past their usual bedtime when they decided to call it a day. 
The children had been asleep for hours, and Nancy, yielding to Pollyanna's stern command, had, some time before, gone to her room in the third story. Most of the furniture was in its rightful place, the bookcases were partially filled, and a number of pictures hung on the walls. Pollyanna had dark circles under her eyes, and her tired feet dragged as she went from room to room. Even Jimmy declared that a few more such days would lay him out. Pollyanna was asleep two minutes after her head touched the pillow. But as a delicious, submerging wave of drowsiness swept over her, she struggled to the surface long enough to say, Well, anyway, dear, we can feel that now the worst is over. End of chapter one. Read by Tanya Bessler, Stuttgart, Germany. April 11th, 2021.